Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, this morning we're going to end our surfing. I don't know if anybody learned to surf this summer, but we've been surfing through the Psalms together, and uh, we're surfing through. This is our last day in, in the Psalms, and I hope that you've uh, really been encouraged and you've learned a lot, and God has blessed you through this time. We're going to look at the very last chapter of the book of Psalms. So if you have something that you can read your Bible in, uh, turn to find the, the book of Psalms. If you have a physical Bible in front of you, not sure where that is, Pretty much you open it up right in the middle and you're pretty much guaranteed to open up to Psalms. If you keep turning to the right, you find Psalm number 150. That's the last Psalm. This book, what we call the book of Psalms, is actually a collection of five different books. Um, and we just put it all in one group. It's been all put together in one group called the book of Psalms. And uh, each section ends with a, a praise, a psalm of praise. And each of these five sections ends with a psalm of praise. And this last section, Psalm 150, is the f- final of the last five chapters of the book of Psalms. And each one of those is a, is a psalm of praise as well. I encourage you, if you have time this week, to read those last five books, of five chapters of the, the book of Psalms. And you can see how each one is focused on praising God. Psalm 146 is praising God for His help. And Psalm 147 is praising God the fact that he is provident for his providence. Um, Psalm 148 is um, requesting and commanding all of creation to praise, praise God. Psalm 149 is uh, praising God for the things that are to happen in the future. And this Psalm 150 is uh, kind of the culmination, the climax of all of those things. But I'm going to teach you, uh, I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew. So if, if any of our uh, Old Testament professors are listening online, welcome to all those who are listening on Facebook. We're certainly glad to, to have you, have you join us. And if one of you are one of my old professors, don't worry, I'm not going to teach them much Hebrew, because as you know, and I know, I don't know much Hebrew. Uh, just welcome to everyone who's able to join us with Facebook. We really appreciate you spending the time. If you're uh, not able to come because uh, of different reasons, or if you're a uh, a long way away, I know we have missionaries that often watch and join us, so how, uh, welcome to each one of you. And to those who live in the area and could come and chose not to, we can see you. <laughs> Lying there in your bed, hair not combed and bad breath and all that stuff. We have a place for you, so come and join us. We'd love to have you come here. Um, but this last psalm is a culmination of all the contents of the psalm. In the last little while, I've been going through just kind of the contents of what the psalms involve. And listen to this, because this is all a culmination. It's supposed to climax in praise of God. So let me just give you a partial list of all that is contained in this book of psalms. It talks about prayer and troubled times, the problem of the existence of evil, about mercy, God's justice, finding refuge in the Lord, oppression by evil people, deliverance, confidence in the Lord, creation, suffering, dependence on the Lord, joy, protection, victory, wisdom, God's love and faithfulness, the fleeting nature of life, betrayal, depression, refuge, wealth, pride, injustice, security, trust, crisis, unbelief, restoration, obedience, 
desperation, promises, retribution, worship, praise, integrity, forgiveness, providence, thanksgiving, idolatry, truth, peace, God's favor, oppression, living in harmony, distress, rescue. That's a partial list of all that's encapsulated in these, this book of Psalms. Pretty much, I think we can say that all uh, that we go through in our lives is contained in this book of Psalms. And it all is supposed to end together in praise of God. I think that's very interesting. I think it's very important for us to realize that. This psalm is just 78 words long. And 13 times we're told to praise the Lord. In 17 verses. 13 times it says praise. It only uses the word the eight times. Like that's important, how, how important it is to praise the Lord. So let's look at this Psalm 150, if you can find it. I'm going to read it for you. Listen along. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. That's Baptist, take that last one out. <laughs> Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has His breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This Psalm 150, it contains no argument. There's no specific teaching here. There's no real exclamation. It's really an eloquent, passionate cry for all of creation to give thanks and praise to the one to whom it is due. Unlimited praise to the God who is unlimited in His greatness. Unlimited praise to the God who is unlimited in the greatness. How do we get to the point where we can praise the Lord like that? I think it's, part, it's mostly the way we think. We have different ways that different people think. Some people are pessimists. Some people are optimists. I, I read about two farmers. One was a pessimist and one was an optimist. The optimist would say, you know, it's beautiful sunshine. The pessimist would say, it looks like we're going to have drought. The, pessimist, the optimist would say, oh, what a beautiful rain. And the pessimist would say, it looks like we're heading toward a flood. Uh, and, and they would kind of go back and forth for, like this for years. One day, the optimist got a brand new bird dog and said, what do you think of this uh, new bird dog? He's really quite something. And the pessimist said, you mean that old mutt that you've got? tied up behind your house. It doesn't look like much to me. And the optimist said, well, let's go hunting. They went hunting and shot some ducks and a few of them fell in the pond. And uh, immediately the optimist said to his brand new bird dog, go to, told him to go and fetch the, the, those ducks and went to the pond, the edge of the pond. And instead of jumping in, actually stood on the water and walked on the water all the way over to the dogs, picked up all the, picked up all the, the ducks, brought them right back to the feet of the, of the optimist. The optimist turned to the pessimist and said, what do you think now? Quite, quite something, isn't it? And the pessimist said, so he can't swim, huh? <laughs> it's, it's funny how two people can see the same thing and, and think of it differently. It's the, the outlook that we tend to have in our life, and it's important that our outlook is proper. You all know what it's like to be around a pessimist. You all know what it's like to have someone, um, any ideas that you might have to shoot them down or to say it's not going to work. And I think many Christians have kind of bought into this uh, mentality. They look around and they see the condition of the world and they feel like it's deteriorating. Maybe they look at their church and they're not super happy with how things are going and they just feel pessimistic toward things. What's the solution for this, this pes pessimism? I think we need to realize it's not optimism. 
Uh, optimism is one way of thinking, and it's, it's kind of interesting to, to look at that. But the problem with op being just plain optimistic, looking on the bright side of things, is that it leaves one very important thing out. We're a very important person out. It leaves out God. And so I think the, the solution to a pessimistic outlook is not an optimistic outlook. It's a God-centered outlook. And a God-centered outlook will lead us to a life of praise. We're going to look into this um, in the Psalm 150. I think we can maybe evaluate ourselves a little bit. What if, we, what if one person said, I wish or I want or I truly honestly feel as though my, that praising God characterizes my life? I wonder how many of us could say that praising God is really a characteristic of my life. I believe the extent to which you cannot say that is the extent to which you, we are not God-centered in our thinking. A God-centered person will be a person of praise. And as God's people, we should be focused on Him in every one of our situations. And it doesn't mean that we overlook the negative things in our situations. It doesn't mean that anything negative that happens, uh, that we automatically say, praise the Lord. Uh, earlier in the, this past week on Tuesday morning, I was doing some exercise and um, I hurt my back. And I told a few people this week and they said, well, there you go. There's your lesson. Don't, hurt, don't, don't exercise, right? <laughs> exercise will kill you. Um, but I twisted my back a little bit and I went to the chiropractor. Actually, uh, I had set aside a walker for my, my uh, person that I know was looking for a walker. And I set it aside. I said, next time you come and visit, you can, you can try it out, see if you like it. Turns out that I was the one using it before he's had a chance to come and, come and look at it. Um, but I'm feeling a whole lot better. But what's your response? A pessimist would say, this is just terrible. An optimist would say, oh, it's great. Uh, but I think of someone who's got their head screwed on right, that who's looking at God in every situation can somehow find a way to praise God, even in that, even in that kind of a situation. And as you look back, it might be a minor thing, but we need to be God-centered in our thinking. In Psalm 150, the first verse, we're going to see a number of things about how we praise God, where we praise God, who praises God. So the first verse is about where we praise God, and the answer is everywhere. It says first, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. The first word about His sanctuary is the place in the Old Testament where the followers of God would gather together to praise Him. The place that was intended for praise. And God says, praise Him in His sanctuary. But in the next part it says, praise Him in His mighty heavens. And that is supposed to include all. Wherever we find ourselves is the place to praise God. It's not just on Sunday morning where we come together and sing some songs. As great as that might be, that's not the only place where we're supposed to praise God. It says that we're supposed to praise God everywhere. Yes, praise God in His sanctuary, but also praise God in His mighty heavens. Super important that we understand that. To realize that His glory fills the universe... And therefore, his praise must do no less. His glory fills the universe. His praise must do no less. So first, where do we praise God? Next, why do we praise? Why praise God? And the answer is in verse 2. It's for every act and attribute of God. Why do we praise God? It's for what he's done. And it's for who he is. His acts of power and his surpassing greatness, one version says. 
Another version says that it's, it's his heroic acts. These, this acts of power often is a term that's used in um, reporting what a person has done in battle, a warrior kind of a report. And so it's his acts of mighty acts of valor. So because of the things that God has done, he is worthy of our praise. And we are supposed to praise him because of what he's done. Notice it's not... Notice what's not here in this list of reasons why we praise God. But look at this. It says, first, that we praise Him because of what He's done. And maybe it's important for us to realize what He's done. And even in this book of Psalms, we've got a list of things that we can remember what God has done. In Psalm 139, it says that He formed you while you were in the womb, and He ordained all the days of your life. Psalm 22 reminds us that He sends the Messiah to die for our sins. Psalm 23 shows us that He's providing for our every need as a good shepherd. Psalm 32 tells about the forgiveness of sin, which God gives to those who repent. Psalm 57 describes how God is sufficient in a time of trial. Psalm 71 teaches us about God's grace through our ages, even through old age. Psalm 119 says that God's Word is something that He has done. He has given to us graciously. Truly, we need to understand that God has done great things for us. In the New Testament, if you looked in 1 Timothy, it would tell you more about what God has done for those who believe in Jesus, for those who understand that He is the Son of God, for those who understand that He died for my sin, and He paid the price for my sin, and we place our faith and place our trust in Him. Think about how He has dealt with us. He says in 1 Timothy that He chose us before the foundation of the world. It says that He sought you when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, while you were hostile toward Him. It says that He caused you to be born again to a living hope. It says that He dealt graciously and patiently with, with you to lead you to the place where you are today. And in Philippians chapter 1, it says He's the one who started this good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what God has done for us. We should be praising Him for what He has done. Praise God for His mighty deeds. And then it also it says not just for what He's done, but it's for who He is. Just the fact that God is God is reason enough for us to bring our praise to Him. In 1 Timothy it says that He's the eternal King, the immortal, the invisible, the only God. It says that He's blessed and the only Sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. It says in Revelation, Worthy are you, Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they exist all that was created. These are the reasons that we're supposed to praise God. Not because we feel like it, not because we're happy, not because everybody else is doing it. It says that we're supposed to praise God for what He has done and for who He is. Simply for that. And then in verses 3 to 5, kind of gives us an idea of how we're supposed to praise God. So maybe we have this question, well, maybe I, am, I understand that I'm supposed to praise God. I'm supposed to be praising God everywhere. And verses 3 to 5 give us a whole list of different instruments. And I don't know that this list is necessarily supposed to be comprehensive. We don't know all the instruments that they had back in ancient um, Israel. Um, but we do know that there is a, a major list here. And it seems as though everything that you can put your hand to 
is something that you can use to praise the Lord. It's interesting that they use trumpet first. The, the, usually, the more, more often, the, the use for that trumpet was in battle. It was for the coronation of kings. It was mostly for those kinds of ceremonies. And yet, the psalmist says, grab a trumpet and praise the Lord. And there's other, all this list. We don't need to go through every single instrument that's here, but it seems as though there is a common idea that whatever, with whatever you have, that's what you're supposed to use to praise the Lord. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we somehow, we've picked up the wrong ideas about worship. Verses 3 to 5 says, seems to suggest that there's two aspects or two elements of worship. First is celebration. If you think of all these instruments and all them being used together to worship God, to praise the Lord, there has to be a, an element of celebration in it. Worship isn't supposed to necessarily to be a somber, formal exercise that's devoid of joy. That's not what worship is supposed to be. There are times when we need to be quiet and reverent. There are times where it's fitting when we understand that we're in the presence of a holy God to be reverent. And of course, there are times when sober thought is appropriate, when we confess our sins or we understand who the Lord is and what He's done for us. But I think God wants us to celebrate His goodness. When, he, when we praise the Lord, He wants us, there needs to be a part of it that's celebratory. We don't go to God's funeral, we serve a risen Savior, right? I think our faces should reflect the fact that we are enjoying God. I was at a, I remember this, I, once in a while I get these little remembering, and I, as I'm thinking about this idea of praising God and the fact that we should use all that we have and our faces and our countenance should reflect that. Sometimes I remember some situations, the church where I grew up in, and I remember specific people who I thought were the most spiritual. And you know why I thought they were the most spiritual? Because they were the most grumpy. I don't, know, I don't know why. Somehow I figured that those are the people that God likes the best. They want, they, you know, God wants to make us grumpy. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that. I somehow thought that because I, I was afraid of those people. And I thought, well, they're here, so God must like them. And maybe I'm supposed to learn how to do that. But there are times when I look around and people, we'd be singing these songs of celebration. And you look on their face and you just think, boy, these people are angry. And I think that's not really what it's supposed to be. Look at, listen to the words that we're singing. Consider the concept that we're, consider the God whom we're praising. I think it should show on our countenance. It should show the fact that God has bountifully provided for us in his son, Jesus Christ. I, I read about a guy who was not, uh, did not have any church experience and just came to know that Jesus was his sa savior and through some friends and, and came to be saved and have his sins forgiven. And there was a, and a, a little while later, he came to have his, his baptism. Now, he grew up uh, not having any contact with the church, so he wasn't familiar with kind of the lingo that Christians use. And, and he was in his, uh, having his baptism, and he had, his, had the baptism, and as he came up out of the water, he shouted something. He shouted, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. And he was excited about God. He didn't know that you're supposed to say hallelujah. If you say anything about food in church, people just think about that fact that they're hungry and lunch is coming and you lose them, right? You can't say even hot dog in church because you'll lose people. But there's, there's a genuine expression of praise for God. That's exciting. That's the way it should be. And I sometimes think that if we love the Lord, 
we're going to be excited about gathering together with His people to praise His name. And if uh, and sometimes we come to church and we don't make this time of preparation or we sometimes are hassled about problems and we're constantly maybe looking at our watch and thinking, um, let's get this hour over with so I can go on to my day's activity, get back to the things I really want to do. If we have those uh, mindsets, I don't think we'll ever understand that we'll be able to praise the way God wants us to in that true celebration. But I also think there should be passion in our praise. It means that we're supposed to be there and in that moment of praising. where We're not just sort of singing words and thinking about something else. We need to focus ourselves on God when we're praising Him. We need to focus on the words that are there. We need to push, a, push away from ourselves the apathy that we may have. We push away the things that might distract us in our attention, that we can make praise our priority and dedicate our whole being to that process. That's the passion that we're supposed to approach that with. I read about Howard Hughes, that billionaire, and when he died, his Summa Corporation, had, he had millions and millions of dollars of investments in the casinos of Las Vegas. And so the head of the corporation suggested, made this call, and there was an announcement apparently across all of the casinos that he had these major investments in and asked for a moment of silence, uh, just remembering Howard Hughes. And so the, the gaming floor went silent across, um, across Las Vegas, and all the casinos went silent. And it wasn't very long until uh, one of the pit bosses looked at his watch and said, okay, roll the dice, he's had his minute. Not really a lot of respect, um, for that man, but it shows you that distraction. There's a guy that wasn't really into this whole thing and just said, let's get back to what's really important, right? And I sometimes can't help but wonder if that's sometimes the way that we worship. You know, let's give this hour to God and then let's be done with it and let's get on with our life. I think God wants us to come with celebration. God wants us to come with passion where we focus ourselves on Him. He deserves us giving Him everything we've got when it comes to worship. The list of instruments that's here isn't supposed to be comprehensive. But I think the point is actually that everything you have can be used to worship God. Everything that you have can be used to worship God. Next, let's look at who should worship. Who should worship God? That verse 6, the last verse, answers that question. It says, everything that breathes. It seems as though the only qualification listed here for praising God is that you breathe. And I think that's most of us here. I think every single one of you can put fog on a mirror if you had to, right? That's how we decide if someone's breathing, right? And if we're breathing, we are supposed to be praising. I think one of the striking features about this psalm in, in looking at it and finding out some more about the Hebrew of it, the way it was originally written. And again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar and I'm not claiming to know all of these things, but it's 13 times in this verse that I mentioned earlier, 13 times in this verse where we are commanded to praise the Lord. It's that one word that, you, that we can all know. You all know some Hebrew. You're all Hebrew second language kind of people. You all know the word hallelujah, right? And it's two Hebrew words put together, hallelujah, which is praise, and Yah, which is a short form of Yahweh, so praise the Lord. You put it together, it means praise the Lord. So look you guys, Hebrew scholars, all of you, uh, you probably know just as much as I do. 
But this Hebrew word hallelujah is there 13 times in these six verses. And only one time is it listed with four words in between it. Every other time, there's only two words between each consecutive hallelujah. Every third word of this psalm, basically, is the word a call and a claim and a, a command to worship and praise God. How important that is. The fact that God commanded us to praise Him means that praise is not just a feeling. It's not just, I feel like praising God, so I will praise God. Or, conversely, I don't feel like praising God, so I'm not going to praise God. It's not just about a feeling. It's much more than that. Sure, feeling can be involved, but at its, at its heart, it's not just a feeling. Praise seems to be a matter of obedience. Each one of these words, hallelujah, in this psalm is a command. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him with all of these instruments. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Command after command. So it seems as though the act of praise is a response based in obedience because God has told us to praise Him. So it's in part a feeling, but it's more than that. It's a matter of obedience to our great God. And it stems from deliberately and intentionally focusing on Him, where our focus is on God. And that's where it takes our effort, where we need to say, I'm not focusing on my problem right now, necessarily. I'm not focusing on some people right now. I'm not focusing on some plan that I might have, but I need to focus on the God of all creation. And we need to make ourselves focus on God. And in doing that, we can be intentionally God-centered in our thinking. And when we are God-centered in our thinking, we will be people of praise. And so I think this last verse says that if you're breathing, praising God is not an option. It's your responsibility. The message of this psalm, of the psalms in general, and this psalm specifically, is that God's people should be caught up in praising Him. God's people should be caught up in praising Him. Sometimes God's people get caught up in other things. But God's people need to be caught up in praising God. I was reading uh, one of the commentators. His name is Boyce. And he says, let's be done with worship that is always weak and unexciting. If you cannot sing loudly and make loud music to praise the God who has redeemed you in Jesus Christ and is preparing for you heaven, perhaps it's because you do not really know God of the gospel or the gospel at all. If you know him, hallelujah. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.